0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaVerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaVerge on Faith Radio.
0: It's working! Hello. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Let's see. You got a meet-up plan today? You have a plan to meet up with some folks? Um, Who's going to show up? All right. So my mom really would encourage um, each of us to plan to be a good host. If you invite people to something like plan to be a good host, have a plan. Um, And then she would also say, you know, of all the things that you might be in life, you can always be a good guest. So um, if you're going to invite people uh, to do something with you, to meet you somewhere, be a good host. And if you are invited somewhere, be a good guest. Now, why am I um, bringing this up? Well, there's a guy named Ka Kanet. I know nothing about him. Other than he has an audience of some 15 million people across a number of social media platforms, including Twitch, Instagram, and YouTube. So via his social media platforms, he invited, quote, everyone to meet him at Union Square Park in New York City for a giveaway. Um, Well, you know, he's got 15 million followers. And so thousands of people showed up and they were all expecting what to get something from him. At a minimum, they thought they were going to get a hundred dollar gift card, but many of them expected to get a, a, a new PlayStation. So he set the expectation. He invited people, um, but he was not a good host. According to reports, things got, quote, crazy. Uh, The crowd turned into a mob and police were called in. Um, The host was removed for, quote, his own safety. Police officers were then injured because people were really upset because they did not get what they came for. Sixty five people were arrested, including This is the curious part to me, women and children. And it was that part of the story that led me to think, okay, there are some stories about Jesus and large crowds, Jesus being a huge influencer in his day, um, and, you know, no social media available but word of mouth, and thousands of people showed up in remote locations um, with, you know, no— No plan for, let's say, public restrooms or food trucks or however else they might get food and water. But there was never a mob scene, and the police were never called in. People were never injured. um, And, yes, there were lots of women and children. So it reminded me of this story from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just received devastating personal news that his cousin, the guy we know as John the Baptist— um, son of Jesus's uncle and aunt, Zachariah and Elizabeth, um, more than a cousin. Like, John really knew Jesus for who he was and knew him for a lifetime. Well, there was a party at um, the ha- the home of, um, of Herod Antipas, and as a party trick, like, right, he makes this offer to this scantily clad young woman, you can have, you know, up to half my kingdom, and what she asks for is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so John is beheaded as a part of a party. Jesus hears about this, and uh, Matthew tells us, Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. But Jesus is an influencer. So when people saw where he was headed, they headed that direction. Crowds followed him on foot from all the surrounding towns, is what scripture tells us. Jesus lands, and he sees this large crowd, and he has compassion on them, and he spends hours healing their sick. Scripture then says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. It's time to send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and get themselves something to eat. And Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So Jesus is turning to his, uh, you know, his posse. And he's saying, you take care of the crowds. And they're like, hmm, well, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them to me, Jesus says. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke them. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples in turn gave them to the people and everyone ate until they were satisfied. And the disciples then picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those in the crowd who ate, about 5,000 men and additionally women and children. Some 9,000 people all of whom came for something that they wanted to get from Jesus. But they sat down and they waited for what sounds like a long period of time in a very orderly fashion for a food distribution. Each person took what they needed, got what they wanted, and there was so much, more than enough to go around. Even though it seemed at the beginning like there wasn't going to be enough. Have you ever thought of Jesus as a major influencer in his day? Thousands of people thronging after him, all wanting something from him. And every single time Jesus delivers. Not Playstations and $100 gift cards and not always fish and bread. But Jesus always delivers. That's what he does. That's who he is. And people are still looking for that today. Let's give it to them. Let's lead them to Jesus. Our friend Matthew Sleeth is going to join us next. We're going to talk about the epidemic of loneliness that we're facing, and we're going to talk about the answer to that as we invest in friendships. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is back. We're talking about the pillars of faith. Perhaps you've heard there's a loneliness epidemic today. The Surgeon General of the United States has taken note. Most of us were already aware because, if we're honest, we're lonely. Um, we, we want friends. We've got a friend in Jesus, but we want and we need friends to walk with us and talk with us in addition, um, in addition to Jesus. Like, right, we got to have some flesh on it. So we're going to talk about that today. Matthew, welcome back.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: Let's, um, let's talk about the reality that many people are facing today. Lots of folks, they don't have any close friends at all.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was looking at some surveys of this, and, and one said that in 1993, 3% of Americans claimed to have no friends, and that in 2021, that was up to 12%. Other surveys say 22% of millennials have absolutely no friends, Uh and uh, whichever survey you look at, it's it's bad and it's getting worse. And uh, friendship, uh, I think, is just an essential. I think God built us to be in fellowship and friendship, and that when we don't have that, we are not healthy people.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, the need we have. Like the it it's not it like literally we're not. It's not good for us to be alone. Talk about the difference between like loneliness and then there are times when like, right, we want to get some time away by ourselves. So we're not talking here about intentional solitude where we're getting alone time with God. We're talking about being alone to the point of loneliness, not because we're choosing some time away, but because we've arrived at a place in our culture where we literally don't have healthy relationships.
1: And I, I think that's—I uh, uh, I absolutely agree. There, there are times when it's good to be alone and reflect, and and spend time with the Lord. But we are made in God's image, uh, and 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 God exists in a fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are meant to uh, exist in fellowship with others and um to share the downs and the ups and uh, as the bible says that iron sharpens iron that our friendships are meant to um uh, sharpen our our skills and our morals and, and that sort of thing. I I'll I'll read two scriptures uh that I think come to bear on this. One's from First 1 Corinthians fifteen, thirty three. Uh do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so there's advice there that when we uh, have fellowship, we want it to be of an elevated nature, if you will. Doesn't mean we always have to talk about good times, um, but we're leading the person we're talking with, and vice versa, uh, towards uh, biblical truths. I think, and the other is Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise; the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so. I think the Bible wants us to have friendships, but to choose those carefully and uh, uh, to not just have drinking buddies or the equivalent, if you will.
0: So when we talk about um, investing in friendships as a genuine pillar of our faith, when we come back, can you um, give us maybe some nods to some Bible friendships, to some friendships among people in the Bible that we could use as an inspiration for our conversation?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. We're talking with our friend, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. In addition to being a physician, he is a theologian. You can find him at MatthewSleethMD.org. And we're talking about investing in friendships. So just ask yourself, when was the last time you made a new friend, a real friend? And how are you investing in friendships as a pillar of your faith? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Talking with our friend Matthew Sleeth. We've been working our way through a conversation about the pillars of our faith. It's a monthly discussion we've been having um, over now a long period of time. We actually, today's our ninth ninth pillar. And we arrive um, today at the pillar of faith of investing in friendships. And it leads us to consider the ways that Jesus invested in a close group of friends not just the 12 that we think of but maybe even more intimately with the 3. Um Peter, James and John, we hear a lot about the intimacy of their friendships and relationships. Matthew, I'm wondering if there are some examples that we could point to in the scriptures as we're talking about investing in friendships today.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the most beautiful is from one of the most beautiful books of the Bible and they're all beautiful, but uh, the story of Ruth and Ruth the Moabite woman and uh, this beautiful sh- friendship between her and her mother-in-law um, where it is not necessarily in Ruth's best interest uh, to continue the friendship uh, with Naomi. And nonetheless, she says, don't send me back. Um, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Um your people will be my people your god will be my god i'll die where you die i'll be buried there and this i'm i'm swearing uh, by by god really and and the beautiful things that came out of that that uh friendship uh were multiple friendships and and one of the most beautiful of friendships that between a husband and wife same uh Sort of thing happens uh between uh david and and Jonathan that uh, uh also the Bible makes note of that uh they were bonded to to each other in friendship, and that bond was held together by the glue of the universe and that is uh, the Lord uh Jesus and John had a a particularly lovely uh, friendship, and I think Jesus and Lazarus had a uh, a beautiful mm-hmm. friendship as well and and we see others like Paul and uh, Timothy, Mary and elizabeth um they just uh, the Bible is uh, filled with these lovely friendships, and the common element, if you will, the glue that bound these uh, friends together uh, was the Lord, and I think that that should be a clue for us. That what will really uh, unite us in friendship uh, and and to me the the greatest friendship of our lives is with our spouse and and that is the Lord that ties us together Carmen
0: that is so good. I think that um, when we when we're talking particularly maybe with our kids about the development of friendships and sometimes they um, they have friends early in life, and the character of that particular child develops in a direction that um, we know is not good and not godly. Um, this uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians 15.33 is a helpful reminder about, you know, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. We do become like those with whom we spend a lot of time, and so um, we actually have to choose our friends. Um, and sometimes that means— Um, In my own life, I have had to distance myself from an individual because they were they were being a corrupting influence upon me instead of, you know, what I might like to think, which is that I'm a positive influence on other people. So can you talk a little bit about that, like the influence upon us of those with whom we spend a lot of time
1: you know, I think we see this as parents, uh, just as you said, when our children are uh, in in elementary school. I think it's most evident that if your your child has uh, a friend that elevates them, we see good things. Um, but a friend can bring them right down um, because we're we're prone to copy uh, other people. And uh, I want people as my friends who are frankly better than me, so that I can um, copy them, and also that they can call me out when I'm I'm uh, needing correction. I think that uh, real friendship is that place where truth uh, said in love is is really put to the test and becomes of great value. Um, and I think that as we age, we need to be uh, particularly intentional about our friends. And I think also that it's it's great, even these friendships I mentioned in Scripture, there's some in which the friendships are uneven, if you will, between Paul and Timothy, where we have friends that are younger than us, Um, that we are are teaching and inspiring and mentoring and that when we're younger, we choose older folks who we say, that's really somebody I want to be like. Uh, when I grow up, and and we we choose those. When I was uh, a, a number of years ago, somebody just called out to me. I name him. He's not alive anymore. Ellsworth Callis was the president of Asbury Seminary. Called me up out of the blue and said, "I want to be your friend." We started getting together once a month. We had a decade-long friendship that was just beautiful. But that friendship started when he was eighty-three and I was in my fifties. Um, and and those. Those types of friendships are a gift for, from the Lord, so I think it's actually worth getting on our knees if we're lonely and we don't have a friend, and say, "God, help me with this. I need a friend. Please help me with that."
0: And being and having the courage and the confidence—I mean, it's probably humility. It's probably not confidence. The courage and the humility to call someone and say, "I want to be your friend."
1: Yes, like, and I, that's huge it is and i think you know that's i i'm in a lot of churches i was in uh, uh alabama preaching this past sunday and you know to me a great church uh is one where folks get into their seat late and they stay late meaning they're having fellowship with people i don't take it as an insult if people are coming in late it means they couldn't stop talking to somebody you know outside the sanctuary and, uh, and I think probably the, the, the real place to absolutely be intentional about friendships is in church. You see somebody new there, just don't go over and say, hi, say, listen, do you, do you need a friend? Do you need to go out to lunch? Do we need to meet for coffee and really extend yourself and be a little uncomfortable in that even?
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Well, who could you call today and say, I want to be your friend? Um, who, who could you actually like? Maybe you're 83 and you know somebody in their 50s and you're saying to yourself, I actually want to be their friend. That's what happened to Matthew Sleeth. And um, and it, you could be the person. You could be the person who calls somebody up today and just says, will you be my friend? Matthew, thank you so much for um, being a friend of this program. Um, thank you for the demonstration of your life and your willingness to have these kinds of conversations with us over the course of time. We We appreciate it.
1: Well, bless you, Carmen, and and I really appreciate uh, being a part of this, and I hope uh, you and I have just inspired one person to reach out to somebody else today and say, I want to be your friend.
0: Amen. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's uh, Let's draw near to him today, and then in the spirit of Jesus, let's draw near to other people. Jesus had real friends, and he wants us to have and be real friends as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Bo Griffin. Bo Griffin. You may have never heard of him. Uh, He has been in the news of late. Uh, He's a 39-year-old guy who lives in Las Vegas. Um, He says that he was overweight for as long as he can remember. Maybe you can relate to that. His physical weight led to what he describes as a mental heaviness. Um, It grew so out of control over a number of years that he considered taking his own life. He knew he needed to make a change. But he felt like, these are his words, I felt like such a burden and I felt like the distance from where I was to where I needed to go was really, really far. So part of Bo's challenge um, came from patterns that he learned when he was young, Um, you know, to clean his plate and become grateful for what he had because other people didn't have it. And um, he also then became an emotional eater. He says food was his go-to solution whenever he was angry, upset, depressed, lonely, bored. And then it just became his companion. Maybe you can relate to that. Celebrations also centered around food. Maybe you can relate to that. Um, Because he was single and um, owned his own business, he ate a lot of fast food. So here's a guy, his name is Bo, who literally needed a reset. And he made one. Um, he started small and he cut out one thing initially. And for him, that was sugary drinks. What would that one thing be for you? What is the one thing you could do starting small that would lead ultimately to a reset? For Bo, um, there was this commitment over time to what he calls persistence, never give up, and consistency, keep showing up. So I don't have any question that Bo um, Griffin uh, consciously or unconsciously, did all of the things that Deborah Folletta commends to us in Reset. She's going to join us next um, so that each and every one of us can get started on the change we know we need to make. Deborah Folletta next with Reset. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You know Deborah Folletta from truelovedates.com. We like to talk with her about how we can make the changes we know we need to make. So we're going to talk again today about Reset. Deborah, welcome back. It is good to be back as usual. All right. I know I need to change. You assure me that change is possible. But in order to even begin to move in the direction of change, I have to be brutally honest with myself about my shortcomings. And I like to see myself through a a distorted lens um, as if I am better than I actually am. So can you talk with us about the first step in, in resetting or changing? And that is actually that we would recognize our shortcomings and confess them.
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, first of all, we have to believe that change is possible. I think our mindset often holds us back from change because deep down we're like, I don't think I can really do this. I believe that this is what I was destined to do. We don't actually believe that we can change. But according to scripture, the old is gone, the new has come. God is doing something new And we truly have to begin believing that in order for things to start to shift and change in our life. So a huge part of it is our mindset, our belief about change. And then moving on from that, it's really recognizing the things in our life that we need to change. I think oftentimes we live in autopilot, you know, our, our body and our brain is used to taking the path of least resistance. So instead of doing what's healthy We end up just doing what's familiar and repeating those cycles over and over again. So a big part of this is, like you said, acknowledging, okay, there's something that's not working and I need to start doing it differently.
0: Yeah, I'm in a pattern. I'm in a rut. I'm following, um, you know, a track that I've been on maybe for years and years and years. Um, Can you um, talk with us about triggers? Because it's one thing for me to recognize I need to and I even want to lose weight or I need to and I want to spend less money, save more money. Um, Maybe it's drink less. Maybe it's argue less. Whatever. Maybe it's whatever, right? There's all kinds of things that I might be on my list. Um, But I don't actually know why I sabotage myself. So can you talk with us about triggers? Yeah.
2: You know, in the process of changing and doing things differently, oftentimes we hit setbacks. So let's just take the drinking example. You know, let's say that you drink too much and, you know, you you get to the end of the day and you want to drink and you realize that this is becoming an unhealthy pattern but but you don't know how to change it. So maybe you decide, you know, today I'm not going to have anything to drink. And you come home and you have an interaction with your husband or with your wife that triggers you. And all of a sudden you're filled with stress. And then after you, you feel stressed, you then go to the drink. Your typical pattern starts all over again. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we believe that the trigger is a reflection of an issue in the world around us. Well, she triggered me. He triggered Mm. me. But the trigger is actually a reflection of something in us that needs to be healed. I always say that triggers are kind of like these sore spots, these black and blue spots that we have that we don't even recognize we have until someone or something pushes up against them. And then we react. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize I had a, a sore spot there. And and so yeah, we can distance ourselves from all the things and people that trigger us, but then what happens is we end up living a sterile life. We end up living an isolated life. The real reaction is to see this trigger as an emotional sore spot, an emotional wound something that God is revealing in order for it to be healed. So when we're triggered, it's actually an invitation to deal with these emotional sore spots so that they're no longer setting us off and causing us to run to all our unhealthy coping skills. Instead, it's an invitation to heal the trigger itself.
0: All right, we're talking with Deborah Folletta. She's the author, among other things, of Reset. And we're talking about change, the change we know we need to make. Um, and um, my guess is you know the change you need to make. There's one at least that tops the list. You might have several, but you got to start somewhere. dot TrueLoveDates.com, all kinds of resources um, that Deborah offers in those places. All right, so recognition is the first step. Like, okay, so... Um we've got these negative behaviors. they're actually triggered by negative thoughts, and then I just instinctively stay in the pattern. So if I can recognize um, if I can recognize it, like that's the first step, right? Great, I I, can, I mean, it might be admitting that I have a problem is one way of saying it, but like in the moment recognizing i have a problem is a huge part of this
2: yeah it is uh but it it at least can begin when you're not in the moment i think it's much harder to recognize something in the moment and much Mm. easier to recognize it when our nervous system is not in this self-defense fight-or-flight mode right when we're calm when we're at rest That's the time to really assess. You know, the ironic part is when you start reading Reset, Reset is 31 practices to help you change and heal. But when you begin the book and you open to the first chapter, it encourages you to pause. And it's like, wait a second, why am I I'm ready to go. Why are you telling me to pause? You know, what is this pause thing? Put your phones down and and turn off screens and get in a quiet place and sit for 10 minutes and do all these activities. And, and it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing anything. But here's the thing. Part of the reason that we have no awareness of what we need to change is because we don't take the time to be aware. We don't have the time. We fill our lives with noise and distractions and all kinds of things that prevent us from taking the time to stop and have insight. Stop and ask the Lord, what do I need to change? What are you seeing in me, God? Search my heart, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. God, I need to do things differently and I need you to show me what's unclean, what's not working, what is dysfunctional, what are the patterns that I am repeating that you no longer want me to repeat. We can't even begin to acknowledge what needs to change if we don't have time in our life to acknowledge, right? Mm. And so part of this is building in the discipline of reflection of having insight and awareness and carving out space for, for God to speak to us space for the Holy spirit to say, Hey, you might think your weight is your biggest issue, but it's actually your pride. It's actually the sin in your life. It's actually this issue. And, I think it's so important for us to assess our life and 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 really make space for God to speak to us so that we can begin to change and heal and reflect and acknowledge. Uh, the prerequisite to change is making space
0: for it. I'm going to pause on that for just a moment. <clears throat> the prerequisite for change is making the space for it. Taking time to get time with God just one on one. So, you're talking about solitude. You're talking about silence. You're talking about the practice of listening intently, um, sitting quietly. Um, I mean, you could do it walking in the woods, but you can't do it um, at a NASCAR event or with your phone on or, yeah, while you're scrolling social media. That's actually just because you're there by yourself doesn't mean you're intentionally in a in a period of solitude alone where it's quiet enough that you could actually listen to God. Um, can we talk next a little bit about hearing the voice of God um, and how we discern the voice of God um, over and against all the other things that might be rattling around in our heads? Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're talking, and, you know, so we got we to gotta take a very, very brief break, but if we could talk about that when we come back, that would be awesome. We're talking with Deborah Folletta, Um, you got a lot of ideas and thoughts rattling around in your mind. How do you discern the voice of God in the midst of all of that as you are seeking to discern um, why you're doing what you're doing that's keeping you in a pattern of behavior that is keeping you from the change you know you're called to make? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're talking with Deborah Folletta. Um, we're talking about the change that we know we need to make in our lives. What is the change you know you need to make? Do you understand really what's under that and beneath that? The why behind the what that keeps you in the pattern of behavior that you know. You need to change to um, have the um, uh, the life that you know that you're called to be living. com is where you can find her and lots of resources. TrueLoveDates.com as well. The book is Reset. It includes 31 practices to help you change and heal. Um, so, Deborah, just before the break, we, we start exploring this no, I mean, it's the very first uh, practice on the list, which is that I got to get quiet. I got to pause. Um, and and then I have to listen. But I'm not sure that we all know how to listen for the voice of God. Sometimes we just have all this self-condemnation going on in our heads. Um, and it's not it's not necessarily the voice of God. So how do I know that I've landed on what God has to say about the 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 root beneath my issue. Like, I might think my weight is the issue, but as you point out, God might reveal that the issue is my pride.
2: Yeah. You know, our relationship with God is this beautiful, complex relationship in the sense that as a, as a licensed counselor, I work with so many men and women, Christian men and women who love Jesus, but they're struggling. And One thing that I have found in my work with people is that we often transfer the wounds that others have caused us onto God. We often see God through the voices of the people that have hurt us the most. Um, For example, a man who will call Mike really felt like whenever he would would spend time with God, he he was filled with a voice of shame of, you know, you're not measuring up. You can do so much better than this. I'm not pleased with you. And he felt as if God was constantly shaming him, that God was not happy with him, that God was disappointed in him. And so he really struggled to connect with God. He really struggled to feel motivated because it's like discouraging. Like he's like, I just know that God is not pleased with me. I feel like he's constantly looking down on me and judging me. And so we had to unpack that, you know, where, where does that view of God come from? Because it certainly doesn't come from God's word. It certainly doesn't come from God's truth. And as Mike started unpacking, and we, we we started doing an activity that I have you do in reset called your timeline activity, where you write down significant situations in your life that have impacted you and kind of led you to where you are today. And one of the patterns we discovered on his timeline is a really difficult relationship with his dad, a dad who he kind of felt was always judging him, like my way or the highway. And he realized without intending to, he had transferred the voice of his dad onto the way that he interacted with God. And I think so many of us unintentionally transfer the voices of others onto the way that we interact with God, rather than seeing him through the lens of his word, the truth of his word, rather than Allowing our relationship with him to be in alignment to God's word. And we, and honestly, Carmen, I don't think we realize how easy it is, how subtly it happens when all of a sudden God takes on the persona of some of our primary caregivers, you know, mm. Mm. our mom, our dad, our whoever, the people who have hurt us, the way they've interacted with us. And then without really intending to, that's how we begin to interact with
0: God. So it's this, at some level, this distorted uh, view of God, understanding of God. And then it leads to a distorted view of myself, because if I'm an image bearer and in relationship with him and I have a distorted understanding of him, I'm clearly going to have a distorted understanding of myself and every other relationship. Like, okay, so I see this. So um, so spending time um, in God's word cultivating a better understanding of who God really is, who God has revealed himself to be, his character and his ways. This is a part of this as well.
2: Yeah. And I would say this all kind of ties into the biggest formula that I lay out in Reset, which is your thoughts and beliefs lead to your feelings and your feelings then influence your behaviors. So what I believe Leads to my thoughts. If I believe that God is disappointed in me, if I believe that I'm not good enough, if I believe that something is inherently wrong with my body, if I believe that I have to make it happen or it won't happen, all these underlying thoughts that we have that I could list out hundreds of them, but each person struggles with a unique set of unhealthy thoughts one way to to identify this is to ask yourself if the enemy if Satan had to take you down with one lie what would be the primary lie that kind of pops up in your mind throughout your life usually that's linked to feelings negative feelings you know if if you're Mike and you feel like God is disappointed with you you're going to feel bad about yourself you're going to feel insecure you're going to feel inadequate And in that insecurity and inadequacy, your feelings, you're going to act, you're going to do things that aren't living up to the calling that God has on your life, because deep down you feel insecure, you feel inadequate, you're making poor choices, maybe you default to unhealthy coping skills. So change isn't just tweaking our external behavior, you know, let me just adjust this, maybe try to eat less calories, maybe try to drink less alcohol, be be less angry these are all great goals but if we don't get to the root of what we feel that's causing us to behave this way and then unpacking that even more what do i believe and think that's causing me to feel this way we will continue down the cycle without going on a new track to healing. So this is why the book is called Reset, because it's truly about resetting from the inside out, starting with the things that we believe, confronting those things, bringing them up to the surface and facing them and replacing them with God's truth.
0: Getting to those root causes, um, I feel like a lot of us need Um, a professional counselor to help us do. So thank you for serving in that role and in that capacity. And I know that there are, um, you know, other men and women who serve as faith forward professional counselors as well. Um, And so we want to encourage you if you're listening right now and you're like, I, I need some help getting to the root. um, There, there is help out there. Deborah, how, how would a person go about finding, a counselor. Um, I've got about a minute for you to to tell us how to do that.
2: Yeah, there's so many amazing databases online for Christian counselors. But I do want to also let you know that I have an incredible team of Christian counselors who love Jesus and are really good at what they do. There's 17 counselors, plus myself. And you can uh, look through the bios and find somebody who matches your journey, what you're going through at DeborahFaleta.com.
0: Oh, Awesome. Well, then we're just going to do that. Debrafalleta dot com. F L I E T A. Debra, thank you so much um, for joining us again today. We really appreciate it. It is my
2: be with you, Carmen. Thank you for having these brave conversations.
0: Um, well, we need them. I I need them. So thank you. You guys are listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Have you been fishing uh, in the last five years? I asked that question a little bit earlier as a part of the conversation about uh, the kind of um, maybe social strata that you live in. Um, And it provoked a question um, among Christians because hopefully you've been fishing for men. Um, Hopefully you have been out there doing the good work of gospel advancement. And even if you haven't been fishing, fishing, hopefully you've been friend fishing putting a line out for new friends, and hopefully you've been fishing for men in the spirit of discipleship. So here's what we're going to do today tomorrow. Tomorrow when we get together, we're going to lead off with actually talking about actual fishers of men. Mm -hmm. Actual fishers of men. So if you have an actual fishers of men story, um, I'd love to hear it. You can email me, carmen at myfaithradio.com. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. I'm looking for Stories of Actual Fishers of Men. Mhm. Yes. That uh, that that'll be that'll be a fun time. All right. Um hey, I love spending time with you. Thank you so very much. It is my joy. I count it a privilege. I know it's a sacrifice on your part. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support.